Hello, listeners. Welcome back to the pod. It's Jazz here with Pete, Pete Forgent. Uh, Pete has been on our podcast before. Uh, he's a property and stock market expert, among a lot of other things. Uh, Pete, welcome back once again. Pleasure. Thanks, Jazz. Always great to be on. You, you're expert in a few things. Well, <laughs> is there one that overrules the other, stock market <laughs> property? Yeah, look, I'm mainly known as a property guy over the years. I've uh, written a few personal finance books and uh, do invest in the stock market. But I, I guess one of the things with property is that because of the leverage that you use, you tend to end up a bit top heavy in that asset class if you're a property investor. And that's certainly been my experience. So uh, I guess I'm yeah, mainly known as a, a property dude. And uh, I guess I run a property business as well. So uh, yeah, ma- mainly that side of the equation. Nice. Um, so Pete, uh, obviously it's a free flow. We don't script this podcast. So, and you know your game. So I, I thought it would be good to go top down kind of thing. Or how do you see the macro framework currently? Yeah, well, I guess from a uh, stock market perspective, um, I mean, there's all kinds of factors that can impact the stock market in the short term, but nobody really knows what's going to happen next. If they did, um, life would be easy, right? Uh, I guess but from a macro point of view, generally start by looking at the US because the US is the most biggest and most influential stock market in the world. And certainly over the past 20 years or so, we've generally seen that whatever happens in the US is reflected around the rest of the world as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so if the US market goes up, everywhere else follows and vice versa. Mm-hmm. Um, so I guess what people have been talking about for a few years now is that um, valuations in the US are historically high, um, maybe not quite as expensive as they were in the tech bubble, mm-hmm. 99, 2000. But outside of that period, they've, they've been pretty much up there. Um, Cape ratio today is about 35. So look, it, it's, uh, markets have come down a little bit, but they're still historically very expensive. What people have been saying for recent years has been, well, yeah, but the cash rate's basically zero or the federal funds rate zero. So what alternative have we got except to go into stocks mm-hmm. or real estate? Um, but I think uh, you'll probably see that at some point over the next year or two, um, the Fed is actually hiking and therefore it doesn't really apply to the same extent. Um, so look, uh, I guess nobody really knows what's going to happen over the next year or two. But I guess the um, the reason the CAPE ratio is interesting or useful is that it does have a very strong correlation with returns over the following 10 years. And as a general rule, if stocks are expensive, your returns over the next 10 years won't be high. Mm-hmm. And if stocks are cheap, then, start, then returns will be high. So from a Cape ratio of 35 doesn't mean the market is going to tank tomorrow, but it doesn't really point to high returns from the stock market from that level. Mm-hmm. So what, at what point, looking at these ratios, I mean, uh, we've already seen NASDAQ drop a fair bit, I think from memory 21, 22%, somewhere thereabouts, right? Um, S&P saw a correction of around 10%, uh, but the ratio... If, if taking CAPE as an example, still is sitting at 35. Uh, do you see it dropping further or are we going to be on a trajectory that we have been for the last few years, which is basically 
the ratios are going to stay high. Maybe they are more like traditional indicators that are not really working in today's world with what's going on with the interest rates at zero and all the stuff, exponential age, if you want to call it. Um, what, what do you think? Are they, is it going to go, is it worth looking at these ratios anymore or are they just traditional numbers now? Yeah, I think there's there's definitely an element of truth in that. The Cape ratio measures go all the way back to 1860. And I guess if, if you took the average over that entire time period, um, the the Cape ratio would be about, the average would be about 17. Uh, now, I guess, you know, you could certainly uh, say with some justification that, you know, maybe what happened 150 years ago isn't that relevant to today. And I would agree with that. Uh, I think if you look at the the average Cape ratio since around 1990, it's kind of averaged around 25. There's been periods where it was much higher during the tech bubble. Then there was a period where it was as low as 15 um, in the aftermath of the global financial crisis. Um, so look, it, I guess um, it's not really an all or nothing measure though. It doesn't mean you should you know, get out of the market when Cape goes high and get fully in when it goes low. But I guess it's just a a uh, way of considering how you might allocate your investments. Now, I've, I've thought over the past couple of years that the best opportunities for me anyway would be in property because I, stock markets are expensive. Now, for sure, the stock market crashed and then rebounded very quickly. And if you pick the bottom of that trend, then happy days. Um, I managed to get some investments into energy and oil, but didn't pick the bottom of the market. But uh, I guess that's the thing with the Cape ratio. It's not really a short-term market timing tool it's more just a, an indicator to give you an idea of well how expensive or cheap is the market mm -hmm. so with the landscape that we are in currently right um what sectors do you see for 2022 to be performing well or which the ones that will outperform and the ones that will underperform is tech uh, out of favor now with that kind of correction on some of the stocks that you see, Netflix, Zoom, all that stuff, um, which are the growth stocks or uh, what sectors will actually perform basically this year? Yeah, I think, um, yeah, I mean, generally speaking, um, if you believe in mean reversion, well, tech has had a tremendous run over the past 12 or 13 years. Uh, the market has absolutely boomed. So the stocks that are generally out of favor at the moment are the growth stocks. So you'll have seen, Things like the ARK ETF, Innovation ETF, uh, you know, prices have you know fallen by two thirds there, and uh, I think the the sectors that are likely to be more in favour, uh, more the value stocks, the traditional value investments. So I think at the I mean, tech has had an unbelievable run over a dozen years, mm -hmm. uh, to the extent that prices are very high now. So yes, most likely um, the more sort of traditional value stocks, energy has done well, but things like you know, utilities and telecoms, they're probably going to have a better period ahead. Uh, they've really struggled and underperformed tech in recent years and the growth stocks. Mm -hmm. so, you're, so in your opinion, over the next 12 months or maybe over the medium term, it's the value stocks that will be in favor over the growth. Yeah, I think so. I and mean, if you look back through history, they do tend to dovetail in that way. You know, growth outperforms and value outperforms. I mean, it's not to say, you know, it hasn't been a bad period for value mm -hmm. over the last 10 or 12 years, just not as good as growth. Um, but yeah, I guess that's the nature of a cycle. Mm -hmm. And within value stocks, is there any particular sectors that you think will perform exceptionally well? Yeah, I mean, it, it's, um, 
it's still, I think, you'd, you'd be hard-pressed to say at the moment when you look at the sectors, you'd, you'd be hard-pressed to say that anything's particularly cheap. I think if you if you went back um, to sort of the, the, the period during the original lockdowns, I mean, the, the energy sector in particular got absolutely crucified. Um, and um, in fact, energy was the worst performer from really from 2014 all the way through uh, to 2021. Uh, the lockdown period um but since that time of course the oil price is now spiked it's over a hundred dollars a barrel energy was the top performer actually in 2021 um ahead of real estate and financials um look i, I guess the, the the sectors that have probably got the best uh, sort of value if you like the things like utilities consumer staples and some of the industrials um but but even there you know i wouldn't say they're particularly cheap it's just they're just not as expensive as tech because mm-hmm. tech has been by far and away the top performer over the past uh, dozen years right now there's a lot of talk about um over the next decade or so it will be the emerging markets that will outperform western markets um uh, based on what's going on currently um is there any, um, what, what, what's your take on the emerging markets, I guess, is the question, first of all. Yeah, I think you're right. If you actually look at a lot of the emerging markets, um, they're much cheaper than the developed markets. Now, I guess the, the thing with emerging markets, and we're seeing this right now with Russia, is that the volatility for individual countries can be much higher. Now, we've seen um, in the past year alone, there's been real challenges in Turkey, which had a currency crisis, uh, Russia with the uh, geopolitical issues there. Um, so I guess the the thing to recognise when you're looking at emerging markets is individual stocks or individual companies can be very volatile. So you've either got to allocate your assets carefully, or, I mean, these days you can simply buy an emerging markets ETF, which obviously you know is much more diversified across the region, mm-hmm. Um and it takes some of the uh, the volatility and the stress out of it. So there's different ways to do it. But yes, you're right. Generally speaking, emerging markets have been a lot cheaper than particularly America and some of the other developed markets. Mm-hmm. Um, moving away from stock markets a little bit, we saw New Zealand raise its cash rate three times in a row, right? And uh, Fed is obviously talking about it, right? Uh, there's a chance that Australia will follow the same path down the line, whether it happens in six months or 12 months, whatever, right? Um, since you are very active in the property space, what is your take on the Australian property for the next medium term? Medium term could be over here three to four years. Yeah, I, I think it's, look, it's more positive than a lot of people. I mean, I, I, I think you're right. I mean, interest rates have actually been rising anyway. The cash rate is still 0.1%. But if you actually look at fixed mortgage rates, for example, they've already been rising. Mm-hmm. Um, financial markets are uh, sort of anticipating that the cash rate could get to 1% over the next year and maybe even you know, plenty higher than that in 2023. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I guess we'll have to wait and see how far the hiking cycle gets. I, I have a suspicion that these days, even a couple of rate hikes has a lot more of an impact uh, than it used to because there's more household debt around. 
Um, I think the the neutral cash rate will be much lower than it used to be. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Reserve Bank has said two and a half to three and a half percent, but I I strongly suspect that it won't get there. <laughs> so um, I, I think the there's a few um, sort of positive drivers for property. Firstly, I think rents are going to be rising very rapidly, maybe 10 to 20% this year. There's just very, very little rental stock mm-hmm. around and now the borders are reopening. Um, mm-hmm. So that's one positive. I think wages will finally go up, at least in some professions and some sectors of the economy. So that tends to be good. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think the, the other thing is we've just, we've had two years really of no immigration and now uh, population growth will probably go back to one and a half percent at some point over the next year. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that means 375,000 per annum. You know, Australia runs a high immigration program mm-hmm. and there's just not that much stock being built these days. There was six or seven years ago mm-hmm. uh, with a lot of high rise towers largely sold to investors from the Chinese mainland. But that's just not happening now. Um, so I think there could be a real supply shortage over the next 10 years. Yes, rising interest rates will have an impact. But I think um, what people need to remember sometimes is that household wealth is a stock. It's not a flow. There's a huge amount of equity in Australia's property markets and households are sitting on half a trillion dollars of savings, which we've never seen before. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, I think rising rates will have an impact. But you know, generally speaking, older stock is still selling pretty quickly mm-hmm. and there's not that much for sale. So, yeah, I, I, I just, I don't see some of these sort of doomsday scenarios that people talk about, um, except maybe, you know, in some markets where people have overpaid and uh, got involved in silly bidding wars and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. So here's a, here's a question. Actually, I've never asked this on the pod before. And we did we, normally when we discuss property on this podcast, it's very tangible, basically it's a tangible asset, right? Um, but if you were to look at property, paper property, which is basically the stocks, REITs and all, right? Um, how do you think, do you think that is um, a sector that will keep performing as well, uh, along with the actual physical real estate? Or how do, you, how do you see that for the people who are trying to get their foot into the property, but they don't have enough savings and uh, they want to try and grow their savings? Is that another way, a good way of doing it? Oh, there's there's different ways, lots of different ways to make money. And uh, we've talked on this podcast before, you know, uh, stock markets, you know, people can put their money into crypto, you can buy real estate in the metaverse and stuff like that. I mean, I guess um, one of the things about uh, getting into middle age as I have is that you do see some of the echoes of previous cycles, like, for example, the tech boom and bust. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, I I'm a bit of a traditionalist and I tend to think that, you know, the, the best way to do these things is uh, for real estate anyway, the traditional bricks and mortar, you know? So uh, yeah, there's, I'm not, not to disparage any of the other strategies that people use out there, but I guess, um, yeah, I, I guess I tend to think uh, as Warren Buffett says about the return of your capital, not just the return on the capital. Um, so look, there's lots of different ways to invest and, more than ever before, I guess, with the the, uh, the rise of cryptocurrencies and DeFi. Uh, but you know, my core expertise is really in the traditional uh, bricks and mortar, and I, I think I'll stick with that. Fair enough. Just on that, um, we were talking about the interest rates before, and is it 
So first of all, is it fair to say that interest rates, reducing interest rates over the period of decades has really caused this property boom that we that we have seen so far? Um, is that First of all, is that statement, do you think, true? I think it's largely true, yes. I mean, even thinking back to uh, when I was growing up, I can remember the Bank of England hiking uh, the base rate from 10% to 12% in one day. And this is uh, back in the days when the government was highly influential. And they actually said um, in the same day that they were planning to raise the rate to 15%. And I remember getting home that day and my parents were just, you know, shell shocked by that, you know. Uh, and I think there was just a general view back then. That you, you were People were fearful of debt and they looked to get out of debt as quickly as they could. Um, I, suppose, I suppose when you've got a cash rate that um, in the UK has been at close to zero for about 13 years now. You know, Japan has been at zero for forever. The US has tried to get away from zero and failed. Like it's really changed the dynamic. And now Australia has joined that party as well. So I think that, that has been a huge influence on real estate prices. I think there, there's so much more household debt around these days that it will be harder for interest rates to rise quickly um, or as high as they used to. And Yes, in the short term, we will see higher rates. But I mean, there's every chance you could see negative interest rates at some point. You know, we've seen it in Denmark. We've seen bond yields all the way around the world have been negative in Europe and elsewhere, Japan. So, yeah, I mean, it, the trend has been down now for 30 odd years. Um, so in the short term, yes, we might see some higher rates. But uh, yeah, I don't know. people talk a lot about rising interest rates, but it never really seems to, to take hold. Uh, so I'm glad that you said yes to that, because uh, the reason I was asking the question is if we are anticipating, and I agree with you uh, with what you said that the rates probably will never go as high like what they used to be in the past. Maybe we'll see a cash rate of one person, one and a half, maybe, and that will gradually over the time we'll have to, if the yield curve inverts and all that stuff, we'll have to uh, uh, go down again. But if if that is true, um, that that's the main driver of the real estate. And we know that the cash rate is not going to go higher anymore in future. Uh, if, in, if anything, probably negative, based on the examples that you've given, well-known. How will property still act as a store of value in future in that case? Because there's no lever to pull uh, as such, or, or the main lever is uh, pretty useless now, stops performing, which is the interest rates. Yeah, I mean, if you actually look back through history um, in Australia, real estate um, has performed well against inflation and has performed well over time. So I, I think one of the consequences of the, um, the inflation targeting, which Australia introduced in 1993, is that I guess on average, you should expect inflation to be much lower than it used to be. Um, so I guess the, the cost of living shouldn't rise as quickly. The important thing when you're investing is that you're actually achieving a return above and beyond the inflation rate because if you're not doing that you're going backwards mm. um so if property um in real terms has outperformed inflation consistently mm -hmm. but i think you're right the nominal rate of return might be lower than it used to be um if inflation is going to average two and a half mm -hmm. it's not realistic to expect property prices to keep doubling every decade because they would just become unaffordable so i think it's realistic to expect returns to be lower than they used to be in nominal terms. Uh, I guess in terms of where and what to invest in, 
Um, well, the important thing is to is to try and focus on scarcity, mm-hmm. um, you know, landlocked areas, popular areas where the demand is growing. And you know, if you look to uh, say the middle of the century, Sydney and Melbourne are expected to be, I guess, um, you know, eight million people plus, maybe closer to nine. Mm-hmm. You know, so you know that's nine million reasons to be uh, positive about the medium to longer term outlook. Um, for those cities and Brisbane the same so I guess demand will continue to rise over time mm-hmm. um, and it's really focusing on those scarce assets but you I think you're right the, the big drop in interest rates that we saw from the early 90s well we're not going to see that again so there will need to be different drivers now. Mm-hmm. Fair enough now some of the uh, known economists are predicting uh, I don't have the figure in front of me but I think it was around 20 to 30 percent Drop in prices, I think it was Chris Joyce who uh, recently, a month ago or a month or so ago, came up with that article. Um, in 2022, 2020, 21, 20, which year are we? I forgot, 22 or 21? <laughs> 22 now. So it's, I think what Chris was saying is uh-huh. uh, so it's an interesting question. There's a very long answer to it. Um, the, the short answer is the Reserve Bank did a paper. In 2019, saying, look, if if uh, the cash rate falls 1%, that could result in a 28% increase in prices, right? Mm-hmm. Which is more or less what happened. You know, the cash rate did fall by more than 1%, and we saw a big boom in prices. So I think what Chris Joy was saying in his initial forays was that, well, if, if the cash rate goes back up 1%, should we expect a, a 28% fall in prices, um, I think the, the, the authors of that Reserve Bank paper and who created the model, they actually answered the question. And there's a number of reasons why that's not the case. I mean, there's about four or five reasons. Uh, the, the most important thing is what they're really talking about is changes in the real interest rate. Um, now, I guess the thing is, if we start to see interest rates rising again, that will reflect that inflation is rising, wages are rising, population growth is going to come storming back. The economy is going to be growing rapidly. So it's not the same dynamic as when interest rates were being cut in 2019. And therefore, you shouldn't expect a 1% increase to crash the market. You know, really, it doesn't pass the sniff test. You know, how, if you think about it, you know, when in the history of real estate has a, a 1% interest rate crashed the market, it's never happened because mm-hmm. one is still low. I think if you... You know, if you look back to uh, the early 90s that I mentioned, well, the cash rate fell from 17 to 12 really quickly, mm-hmm. but it didn't have much of an impact on housing. In fact, it was a poor period for real house prices because people were still scared about high rates. The thing about interest rate cuts is, without getting too technical, there's, there's a non-linear impact, which basically means the closer you get to zero, the bigger of an impact they should have had on boosting the market. So going from 17 to 12 doesn't change much because people are still worried about high rates. But if you go from one to zero, I mean, that's absolute rocket fuel. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think there'll be a cooling impact, but I don't think it will crash the market. Fair enough. Um, that's good. Just while we are talking interest rates, we saw Russia raising their interest rates, cash rate from 95 to 20%. Uh, obviously, different, very different situation that the geopolitical situation that they are in. Uh, do you see anything? One, what does that? I mean, what does that 
tells you if anything at all uh, and do you see anything like that happening in the western markets uh I, yes well let's uh, all touch wood and hope something similar never happens in a in a country where we're living um so yeah very uh, different dynamics in russia all around the world um companies and countries have imposed sanctions on russia um so they they've had to take emergency measures now the the uh, the key rate was already high with 9.5% it's practically been doubled to 20 mm-hmm. um so um russia is desperately trying to shore up uh, capital in the country um it's actually it's it's actually worse than just the uh, trade sanctions that assets are being frozen uh, for russian nationals overseas mm-hmm. so it's a it's a highly unusual situation um and yeah i mean there's all kinds of ramifications for the russian economy um not paying coupons on russian government bonds um there's um yeah implications for um their major oil and gas companies so for example gazprom you know major investors like shell and bp i mean they're having to offload their investments there's all kinds of implications mm-hmm. um i think the fallout will be much worse for russia than it will for the rest of the world but it might actually create a few headaches for policymakers because the price of oil has already gone uh, roaring higher to 110 dollars a barrel mm-hmm. uh, gas prices spiked by about 70% initially mm-hmm. um so we we will actually feel the impacts of this in terms of rising energy bills uh petrol prices and there there may well be um some implications for interest rates um i guess what policymakers will be wary of is will this short term burst in inflation will it actually sort of get embedded and people will expect higher inflation again you know and that's you know that could create some real problems for central banks around the world mhm fair enough uh that's good pete that's all i had Amayim, so what's your thirty-second summary for the investors in twenty twenty-two? Yeah, I think for in the stock market, um, I think things are going to be very choppy for a while because of the geopolitical tensions. Uh, I think the the important things in in stocks is always to have a written approach. You know, if you if you know what your strategy is and you've got it written down and you can just execute it, I mean that takes ninety percent out of the stress, the stress out of the whole equation because you you've got a written plan to follow and uh, whatever happens you can just execute um in the short term yeah for sure there could be some uh, volatility but as long as you've got a a proven approach then you'll be just fine to execute as planned um in property i think the the market will be pretty strong in 2022 i think the you know credit growth is still very solid lots of appetite for investing still at some point though interest rates will rise um so people need to factor in a buffer and uh, probably just need to be a bit more careful about what and where you buy if you're going to do real estate um I think uh, the rising tide lifted all boats last year but uh, I think um you need to be a bit more selective going forward mm-hmm. enough I appreciate your time Pete thanks for being back on the show always a pleasure and uh, hope to actually catch up in person soon i've been to melbourne for a couple of years so it'd be nice to actually catch up in the flesh would absolutely love to maybe the next recording should be when we catch up face to face yes be uh, be nice to to actually get off zoom and get into the uh, the podcast studio 
yeah so not in the uh, metaverse in the in the, in the, <laughs> in the real world exactly um to the listeners none of this is financial advice please do your own research play safe stay safe and we will see you guys next week cheers <laughs>